Today on Abounding Grace from Pastor Ed Taylor. When you're faced with a mathematical problem with the Lord, it's not too complicated for him. And when you're faced with an issue with the Lord, a problem of having not enough, Jesus will always tell you, just bring what you have. Just bring what you have. Just, just bring what you have. Well, I just have a couple of crumbs of a barley. I just have a couple of bar- these kid. We, we found this kid and we shook him down, man. He's got five pieces of bread and two little fish. But what are they, you know? Well, just bring it. Just give it. Give it to me. Bring what you have. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for. Welcome to Abounding Grace. So good to have you with us. Chapter 6 of John will be the centerpiece of our study today. Imagine hosting a get-together and discover you don't have enough food to go around. Well, that would be quite embarrassing, correct? But in our day and age, the problem could probably be solved by making a trip to the grocery store. Well, this luxury wasn't available in the days of Christ, making what we're about to read even more astounding five loaves and two fish, perhaps enough to feed a couple of people, but certainly not 5,000, right? Nothing is impossible for God, as Pastor Ed Taylor now explains. Remember the prodigal son? He came to his dad, and, and it reads in the Bible like, I just want my inheritance. But, but it meant much more than that. We've got a young kid that's growing into early adulthood that comes to his dad and essentially says to his dad, you know, it'd be better if you were dead. Because if you were, I'd get your inheritance. I want it now. Just really minimizing the relationship with his dad. Not in any way interested in it. I just want your money. That's all I want from you. And the dad's brokenhearted, gives him his inheritance, and he moves on. He lives an empty life, finally comes to his senses. He comes back home to dad. And listen to what the Bible says in Luke chapter 15, verse 20. And he arose and came to his father, this backslidden kid. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. (laughs) Welcome home, son. I'm sure that he prayed and looked out every day for his son to come home. And this was the day. And he was filled with compassion. And what a great reunion it was. Practical help and practical needs. Practical help in relationship to great pain and sorrow and difficulty, and bodily injury, forgiveness, receiving the backslidden. Those are just a few of the things concerned and contained and connected with compassion. If we want to be effective in sharing the love of Jesus, we must have, and we must cultivate, and we must pray for a compassionate heart. Because now, back in John chapter 6, it's out of a compassionate heart that Jesus asked this question, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Verse 6. But this he said to test him. You might want to mark that. He said this to test him. Because Jesus wants us to learn and he wants us to pass the tests of life. And notice, he said this to test him for he himself knew what he would do. Just pause there for a second and and take in the truth today. That Jesus knew what he was going to do. It's true for you too. You might be in the midst of a test right now, in the midst of a trial, but Jesus knows what he's going to do. 
He knows. You can trust him. He knows what he's going to do in your life. He knows how it's all going to work out. He knows. It's not something that he doesn't know about in your life. God knows what he's doing, and he knows what he's going to do, and he's leading you by faith to test you and mature you. And then what do we feel like? We're like, well, I don't know what he's doing. What is this all about? And we're like the little eaglet, aren't we? And our life just feels like, and like, what is going on? I'm a believer. I love you. How could you possibly allow this, God? What's going on? I don't understand. Jesus knows what he's going to do. He knows. Isn't that what God said in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11? For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. That's a promise to you, not just to the nation of Israel. It's a promise to every person that follows God. It's a promise that is repeated here where it says Jesus knows what he's going to do. He knows the thoughts. Listen to this in Isaiah. That was Jeremiah 29, 11, by the way. In Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10, it says that God declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. God knows. So he knew, but he was testing Philip. Verse 7, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. Philip is a lot like some of you, where Philip was the kind of guy that would run the numbers. (laughs) So he's, man, there's a thousand, you know, 5,000 people as we'll see in a minute. If everyone, if every one of the men, because the men were the only ones counted, had a wife and child, you're looking at about 15,000 people to feed. Now, I was just here on Friday night. We had 368 women in this room. And let me say, it was not an easy thing to feed them all. We had guy, 100 guys scrambling over here, the chefs, the, the drinking stations, and then serving. I mean, it was 368. Can you imagine? 15,000? So Philip, I don't look down on him. He's like, wait a minute, supplies. We've only got like 200 denarii, which is about two-thirds of a salary, a yearly salary. A denarii was a, a day's wage. So about two-thirds of, of a yearly salary. Let, let's just put a number on it. Say they've got $30,000. got $30,000 is not enough to feed 15,000 people. We just, and even if we had, you know, what we did with it, it's not going to be sufficient. We don't know what. And so he runs the numbers. He's a mathematician. He works the numbers. And that was his answer. Verse 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, Oh, there's a lad here that has five barley loaves. You think of it, five little biscuits. We're not talking about big loaves here, but five little biscuits and two fish, which are like sardine, like little baby fish. Not, this isn't a feast here. It's a kid's lunch. Maybe his mom packed for him. Maybe he packed for himself, stuck it in the fold of his garment there to carry out for the day for the, just for himself when he gets hungry. And so he brings them. And that's kind of cool. He finds them and brings them. But notice his conclusion. But what are they among so many? So you have Philip running the numbers, and you've got Andrew not seeing the possibilities. Not enough. Not enough. Well, Jesus in verse 11 took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. Now, the beauty of this test is that Jesus doesn't give up on his disciples when they reveal hardness of heart. Just like he doesn't give up on you when your hardness of heart is revealed or your lack of faith or your doubt. Here are the disciples. We've got one trying to run the numbers. We've got another one. This isn't possibly enough. What, are, what is it? 
not really seeing the potential of Jesus. They did have already seen Jesus make water into wine. They know he can do it. They, they've already seen him heal somebody at the pools of Bethesda. They, they've seen the power. I know they're growing, just like you and I are. They're growing in their understanding of Jesus. Even though they're getting glimpses of his faithfulness, they've still got a long way to go. And God's going to take, he doesn't give up on them. God's going to take them all the way there. This long, he meets them. Jesus does right where they're at. He doesn't give up on them. He doesn't dismiss them. I mean, if you think about it, if you think about it, it would have been very easy to say, oh, you guys want to send them away? Oh, Philip, you want to run the numbers? Oh, Andrew, you don't think that's enough? Okay, boys, give me the bread, give me the fish, and you guys sit right over there. I'm going to teach you a lesson. And try to shame them, try to teach them. No, instead, he's going to let them participate in the lesson. <laughs> He's going to put everything in their hands and they're going to be blown away that you'll find when you're faced with a mathematical problem with the Lord, it's not too complicated for him. And when you're faced with an issue with the Lord, a problem of having not enough, Jesus will always tell you, just bring what you have. Just bring what you have. Just, just bring what you have. Well, I just have a couple of crumbs of a barley. I just have a couple of bar- These kid, we, we found this kid and we shook him down, man. He's got five pieces of bread and two little fish. But what are they, you know? Well, just bring it. Just give it. Give it to me. Bring what you have. The disciples are an interesting bunch. And yet they're just like us. We're not very different. And neither is Jesus in being patient with us. We learn that Jesus takes what they had, blesses it, breaks it, and then gives it to the disciples to distribute. That's what he does. He takes the loaves. He gave thanks. He blessed it. We know in other gospels he breaks them, passes them out. Then he distributes them. And the disciples to those sitting down, likewise of the fish, verse 11, as much as they wanted. This, that not only was he going to feed them, but they're going to get as much as they want. It, this is an unlimited buffet of bread and fish. And Jesus just opened up a buffet right there on the mountainside and just eat and go back. As all, just eat whatever you want. And he takes it and he involves the disciples. And we don't know how it went down, but this is a long process. Like there are 15, let's say there are 15,000 people there. This is a long process. And I don't know how it worked. If, if he gave them enough for their hands and then he took it to them and he says, okay, you guys pass down and you guys. I mean, even if you did that a couple hundred times, this all taken all day. It's going to take some time. But every time they would have to come back and they'd say, okay, Jesus, give me more. And then they would leave. And okay, Jesus, I'm here for more. And then they would leave. And that is a pattern in our lives where you, have, you come to the Lord with empty hands and he fills them and then you give it away. And you come back with empty hands and he fills them and you give it away. That's the life of the believer. That's the life spiritually where you're in a church service right now. You're listening to a Bible study and God is filling you up for what? The purpose of giving it away. That's why God's filling you up to grow you, to develop you, so that you can give the love of God away in a very practical way. That's the same thing that happens with your money. God gives you money. He gives you money once a month. He gives you money on a Friday. He gives you twice a month. However you get paid, he fills you up so that you might give it away. Yeah, sir, you have, and I have responsibilities in my home, but that's not the only reason why God, the Bible is very clear that he hasn't only given us uh, resources to take care of our homes, but to bless and to take care of others. But instead... There are often times that we will hold back what we have, thinking that that's the way that God multiplies. The way that God multiplies is not by holding back. The way that God multiplies is by giving up. And you find a lot of math in the life of Jesus, in the life of the church. You find God adding. You find God subtracting. But you know what this one is? This is God multiplying. And they had nothing. This was somebody else's bread and fish. Think about the kid for a second. Think about the kid. You're looking around. Do you have anything? You have, nobody has anything. And the little kid says, I do. What do you have? 
five bread. Well, give it to me. What? That's my lunch, man. You're not taking my lunch, <laughs> you know. No, you give it to me because the master needs it. Okay. And this kid gives up everything. And, and you know what? He also is fed as much as he wanted. He's getting fed. He was going to be satisfied with five pieces of bread. You know, maybe mom usually put three, but a couple extra this time. And no, he usually gets no fish, but he got two little treats that would bless him for lunch. And what does he do? He gives everything. And what was the reward in his life? He too got as much as he wanted. Who knows what that kid ate. But after he got over the initial shock of giving everything up, he began to enjoy the blessing of God and the abundant giving heart of our God. So much emphasis is made, and I do believe it's necessary at time on our heart for giving. The Bible is very clear. But if you ever want a heart for giving, you've got to understand the giving heart of God. He gave everything for you and I. He gave everything in the sense of his son, Jesus Christ, dying even when we didn't want anything to do with God. Even when we were in a place where we didn't want to participate in anything. You know, even if you were raised in a godly home, God gave him his own son for you, knowing ahead of time the home you'd be born in and the life you would live surrendering to him. He gave his best. It's the giving heart of God. Now, as we close up, let me give you a few things to consider. Number one, Jesus performed this miracle through his disciples. Jesus performed this miracle through his disciples. He didn't need to use the 12. He could have sat him on the side and taught him a lesson. But he chose. He chose to use the disciples as instruments in this miracle. He didn't have to. And this is an important thing for those of us that seek to serve God, which should be all of us, and that's this. God doesn't need you, and he doesn't need me. He can accomplish whatever he wants to accomplish, however he wants to accomplish. However, God has chosen you. He doesn't need me, but he's chosen me. And for that, I'm grateful. He wants me to participate. He wants me to be a part of what he's doing. He wants to use me. And he didn't have to use the disciples. He could have, in the miracle, just had everybody have a handful of food and said, be blessed. But that's not. It was a process, a process of growth. He, didn't, he doesn't have to use us, but he chooses us. Secondly, Jesus alone gets all the glory for this miracle. Even though the disciples were a part of it, and they were a part of something awesome and wonderful, when they're used, they have to remember that it was the miracle that Jesus performed, not their great distribution. <laughs> we did a great job giving it out. Look at us. Oh, oh, thank you for the food. Oh, you're very welcome. Yes. It was, you know, I don't know what Jesus is doing back there, but I'm delivering it. You know, I don't know how it's happening, but here it is. Yes. If it wasn't for me, you wouldn't eat. No, no, they don't do that, and neither should we. You see, I believe that in our heart, in the heart of every, every one of us that have a true relationship with God through his son Jesus, wants to serve him. And, and during, through that desire, God wants to use us. But let me say this and warn us all. When he does begin to use you, do not take the glory that belongs to only him. Don't take the credit for what God has done. Don't draw people to yourself. You and I, we need to learn and continually draw people past ourselves to the one that receives all the glory. Did you know the Bible actually says that God will not share his glory with any man? It's not something to be shared we get to enjoy it. We get to bask in it. We get the afterglow of his glory. But when God begins to use you, please, please don't take the credit. That's the beginning of the end for you and for me. Which, by the way, if you are just desiring to be used of God, let me give you a few things to look at in your own life. The kind of person that God uses. You can jot them down. There's four. 
the kind of person that God uses. Number one, God uses a spiritual man and a spiritual woman. That's the type of person that God uses. What do you mean by that, Ed? Well, I don't mean the kind of language in the world today where people say, I'm a spiritual person, but, but they don't have a relationship with the true God. I don't mean that. I mean a man or a woman that is surrendered to God and is yielding to the Holy Spirit in their lives, where the Word of God is on their lips, where they're people, men and women of prayer. When, when you, in your life you are speaking of the spiritual things of life, not the fleshly or the carnal things of life. Remember the book of 1 Corinthians? It was written to a church that was very carnal very fleshly, very human. This is not some religious social club. This is the church of the living God. This is the group of people of redeemed men and women that if God's going to use us, we must be spiritual and growing in that area of our lives. Secondly, God uses the faithful person. The faithful person. Are you faithful? Are you full of faith? Are you trustworthy? You know, the Bible tells us, Jesus does, that those that are faithful will be made ruler over many. Those that are faithful will get more responsibility. God uses faithful people. People that can be trusted. People that, are, that you can trust their word. They're reliable. They're, they're not only trustworthy, but their lives are worthy of trust. Faithful people. Because the Bible says that for the unfaithful person, Jesus in the same parable, he says the unfaithful person, what little they have, will be taken from them. And you know who it will be given to? The one that was faithful. Why? Because they were faithful. <laughs> you got to be faithful, church. Every time we go through the bulletin together, it's an announcement. We're announcing to you. Well, we're announcing to you the third thing. Spiritual, faithful. Thirdly, if you want to be used of God, you need to be available. Every time you read the announcement, are you available? Because you can be spiritual, and you can be trustworthy and faithful, but not available. And so, you know, life can be filled up with stuff and all kinds of things are going on and, and you're just not available and you're not making yourself available and you're not making the spiritual self-sacrificial decisions to make yourself available to be used of God. And I am talking right now very specifically in the realm of the church because it's a great place to learn spiritual service that will enable you to be a greater spiritual witness in everything you do during the week. So we're reading through the bulletin. We're asking, are you available? Who's available? Who's available to help our junior hires? They need it. Who's available to provide scholarships? Who's available to go on a short-term mission trip? Who's available to make sure the snow is removed so that people can have unhindered access to worship center? Who's available? We can put that right over the bulletin. Who, which one of you are available? Because if you want to be used greatly of the Lord, you need to make yourself available. And fourthly, spiritual faithful, available, and then fourthly, you need to be teachable. <laughs> because as you begin to serve and learn, you're going to learn a lot. And a lot of ways you're going to learn is through mistakes. And so you need to be teachable. If somebody come, come alongside and say, you know what you did, that we don't do it that way, this is the right way to do it. And you just don't cop an attitude and get all, whoa, we don't care. You know, just, no, I need to learn. I need to grow. And, and whether it's in the context of serving or it's just in the context of your relationship with God, these are all great uh, attributes to have to grow in your relationship with the Lord because God's going to teach us a lot. And one of the ways he teaches us is through tests and trials because he already knows what he's going to do. Not only that, look at verse 12. So when they were, what does your Bible say? Filled. They were filled. They were filled. He said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and they filled 12 baskets with the fragments of five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men who had seen the sign that Jesus did said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. (laughs) 
How many disciples are there again? This is participatory. How many? How many baskets were left? So that pretty much means each one got a basket. You know what I like to call those baskets? Baskets of God's faithfulness. Every one of them had to walk away with baskets of God's faithfulness. Send the people away. Oh, we don't have enough money. Oh, I don't know. We got these bread. But what is that in your hands, Lord? I mean, what is that? We don't, we can't, if we gave everybody a crumb, it wouldn't be enough. But at the end of God's faithfulness, Jesus, he, made, he, he creates so much that he said, go and gather up the fragments and put them in 12 baskets. Because we don't know how long they carried the baskets. But for the time that they did, what do you, what do you think you'd feel? You'd just be blown away, wouldn't you? Not only do you see everybody eat, but now you're walking away going, oh my, this is amazing. My God, he doesn't, doesn't meet needs. He goes over and above, exceedingly, abundantly, more than we can think or ask is what the Bible says. And it was an object lesson for them. Why? Because everything is a discipleship moment. And they walked away with these full baskets going, wow, we're all filled. They're all filled. And look at this. Nothing's wasted. And that's what we also see in verse 12, don't we? So that nothing is lost. Remember, church, nothing is wasted by God. Not one thing. This isn't just a statement of being frugal and wise, you know, where we just don't throw things away. Or This is the reality that God does not waste anything. Which leads us to the final illustration, I think, as we wind down here. And, and to think of you and I being like the loaves and the fish in the master's hands. Where he blesses us and he breaks us and he distributes us. And then he does it again. The will of the Father for your life and mine, the heart for our ministry here at Calvary Aurora, is blessing brokenness and distribution that the lord would bless us break us and spread us out through our city now we often pray and i'm sure you do and it's nothing wrong with it lord bless me bless me lord i pray for your blessings that's great but add to your prayer lord break me oh when's the last time you prayed that break me lord break me lord crush me send your test my way i want to grow up no 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 bless me let me pass the test No, it's blessing and it's breaking and then it's distribution. Replacing our will with his will. Here's the problem. The problem is is that many of us, and perhaps it's even in our own church, never really grow up spiritually. Many never really mature in their faith. Like the author to the Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1. So let us stop going over the basics of Christianity again and again. Let's go on instead and become mature in our understanding Surely we don't need to start all over again with the importance of turning away from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. What the author in Hebrews is saying is to stop going over the basics. It's time to grow up. It's time to mature. It's time to be that growing man or woman of God. You see, there are some people that have and would be able to say they've known the Lord for 20 or 30 years but are still like spiritual babes in Christ. They haven't learned how to read the Bible for themselves. They haven't learned how to feed themselves. They haven't learned how to develop a deeper prayer life. They don't don't have a deep consistency in their involvement in a church. And it's sad, but not hopeless. It's sad, but not hopeless. Because God wants you to grow up. And I would say there are times where God wants us to grow up more than we want to grow up. And like the ego mama, our father God will flip us out of the nest and bring us into a place of free fall so we'll learn how to trust him. We'll learn what it means to follow him. We'll learn what it is to grow up in him. He wants us to grow. He wants us to mature. And with that, we draw today's Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor to a close. We've been in the Gospel of John today. If you joined us late... 
or would just like to give this a second listen, go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com. And have you had a chance to download our app? This is another great way to take in the teaching of God's Word and download it for free today by searching for Calvary Church or Ed Taylor. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. Even just a quick hello telling us the station you listen to means a lot. Maybe you didn't realize it, but Pastor Ed reads them. So let us know how we can pray for you, too. You can email us through the website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. And please remember that Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. We look to the Lord for provision. When you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of Pastor Ed Taylor's book, God's Help for the Troubled Heart. Now, this is a must-read for anyone who has a heavy heart or is greatly discouraged. It's a collection of truthful reminders of God's help for your troubled heart. While we all share stories of pain, If we're not careful, we can find ourselves refusing to accept and receive the healing that Jesus readily gives. Join Pastor Ed as he steps into our pain and shows us how to live a life full of faith, even as we go through painful trials. To order a copy today, call 877-30-GRACE. We ask for a donation of $25 or more. That's 877-30-GRACE. And be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from the book of John. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.